This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 95, Comic Reviews for the week of July 10th. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 95, and this is Adam Chapman, your host, speaking. Uh, today's episode is the Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, July 10th episode. So uh, strap in, we're going to talk about a lot of the comics that came out this week. Um, also, just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, this uh, ne- The next episode up will be episode 96, which will be one of two episodes. I haven't quite decided yet. Um, either it's going to be an episode featuring myself and my brother-in-law, Paul Scores. Uh, he'll be returning to the program. Uh, depending on what we decide to talk about, we might actually have an episode coming up for episode 96, which will c- come up on the uh, 17th of July. But there's also small potential that depending on the maybe potentially timeless nature of whatever we're going to talk about, but I might actually push it and uh, back to August, and instead we actually might uh, have a, a, what we call an inventory episode that I did a couple, I guess a week or so ago, uh, with uh, Tom Kerr, a uh, regular guest of the show, and uh, that episode might actually end up becoming episode 96. I'm not quite sure which episode it's going to be, um, but uh, that will be coming up soon, um, in a few days. Uh, the one with Paul Scores, if we end up doing that one, not really sure what it's even going to be about. could be about anything. Superior Spider-Man, Green Lantern, who knows? Um, so that's coming up because uh, as I speak, I'm recording this on Saturday the 13th. I'm recording on July 14th with Paul, so I'm excited to see what's going to happen with that episode. Uh, in terms of upcoming episodes, I'll have episode 98, which will be coming up. Uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit delayed. It's usually on Wednesdays when we usually, usually like to get our episodes up uh, for the non-reviews episodes. Uh, obviously, this past week, the Monsters University episode was supposed to go up on Wednesday, the tenth. Um, well, as actually, as I'm speaking, but as I'm speaking and recording this, I haven't even actually recorded that episode. As uh, I've been trying to uh, do it with my wife, Kelly Chapman, and we've had to keep pushing it back. Unfortunately, uh, there's been a lot of things going on in our lives. Uh, we're about to take possession of a new house. Uh, we're selling our existing one, and she's seven and a half months pregnant. So, as you can imagine, it's drama galore. Um, so things get pushed back a little. Um, so episode 98 will, instead of coming out on the 24th, will probably be either the late on the 26th or early on the 27th of July. That will be our spotlight on the Wolverine episode, uh, focusing on the new Wolverine movie. And then after that, we'll have our, um, episode 100, which I have no idea what it's going to be. It really depends on who's going to be able to make it for the recording that day. Um, but it should be fun. It's episode 100. And then, uh, we'll be moving into a, a different schedule for August. I'm still working out the kinks. Um, obviously, I like to have a set schedule, but that may just not be possible moving forward. But uh, the reviews episodes should still happen on a weekly basis, but it's more the special episodes where it might be a little less frequent. I'm also still working on the technology to bring AJ Reese on the show more often. Again, if anyone knows a good Skype recorder that I can use that won't have any, any lag or loss, please let me know. I'm trying to reach out to hosts of other podcasts to try and see what they do. I just I really like uh, using Skype to do the episodes, or I would like the idea of using Skype for the episodes is great, especially if I want to have uh, Nathan Struck on the show on a more regular capacity. Because uh, now that he's living out of town, it's a lot harder for us to get together and have him on the show in person, and um, that just sucks. And I'd like to have him on the show more often, uh, just like he used to be. And the only way to do that is going to be Skype, especially with my child on the way. Uh, I'm going to have a, a lot of other drags on my time. So, not drags, but my time is going to be um, utilized a lot quicker than normal because I have a lot more priorities coming down the pike. Anyways, let's jump into the episode because that's what everyone wants to hear. Um, 
So, not a huge week this week, um, but there were some interesting books. Uh, we're going to start off with Astonishing X-Men number 64. Whew, man, uh, I did not really care for this. I think I liked where the, when the, where the storyline was when it kind of started. Um, as it progresses, I just don't care. I, I never liked the pairing of Iceman and Mystique. It just felt like they'd, they'd run out of pairings to do in the comics, so that's what they threw together. Um, they have Iceman and... The, the idea that there's this this piece of Iceman that's inside of him that is left over from the recent storyline that occurred um, with the Age of Apocalypse uh, book, etc. Uh, I'm just I'm not really digging this. It's not really up to to something I'm really liking. I don't where it's t- don't like where it's taking Iceman. Uh, the artwork isn't that great. Um, I just find it very forgettable, very blah. It's not nearly interesting enough for me to want to read it on a regular basis. And so I, I don't think this... I think this book is ending very soon. It might be time. Um, it's had some good moments, for sure. It's had some some really great moments throughout its run. But I think it's just got to the point where I don't want to read this anymore. And it, it could have been a really good Iceman story. And instead it just felt like something else completely. Uh, Marjorie Lou wrote it. Our work is by Walta. I believe it's by Walta. Uh, I like the, the cover by Noto... Eh, it's not really my uh, something I like either. Sorry, the artwork is by Gabriel Hernandez Walta. Uh, I gave it a five out of ten. It's very forgettable. Very once it's over, I don't think you'll want to go back and read it right away. And that's not never really a good thing. You you want it to be a book where you want to go back, you want to read, but unfortunately, um, it just doesn't this just doesn't do it for me at all, or it doesn't make me want to go back. Uh, next up uh, after that disappointment was Avengers Arena number twelve. Um, this, well, obviously spoilers, um, I expected, I thought I would like this a little bit more, I gave it a 7 out of 10, um, it's not bad, it's just not the strongest issue, uh, artwork by Walker, and it's written by Dennis Hopeless, um, so we're moving along, um, I'm more upset because it seems like what everyone kind of thought was probably going to happen is probably happening, um, Nico kind of being alive because of the blood magic. It's an interesting way of getting around her actually dying. In some ways, I actually think it would have been stronger if she had died. But I get where they're going here. Um, I don't know. This this issue just felt a little bit empty in certain ways. Uh, but the ending is definitely makes you wonder what the hell is going on. Uh, it seems a little predictable and kind of what everyone was thinking. But, you know, we don't know that yet. We don't actually know what's actually going to happen. So it could still be anything. I give it a seven out of ten just because I wasn't fully engaged. It was still a good book. I would give it a three and a half and a three and a half uh, in terms of story and art because it wasn't a bad book by any means. But I think this this series has been better than that, and so that's what makes me maybe a little harder on it. Is that I've come to expect something and then this didn't quite give it to me. Um, next up is Batgirl number twenty two. So I, I do like that Gil Simone is not afraid to kind of deal with the the effects of. Um, Barbara really having to deal with the guilt of, you know, basically killing her brother, although he's not actually dead. Um, it's written, So this is written by, as I said, by Gil Simone. I work by Fernando Pissarin, who is the regular penciler here, although something about the way he portrayed Barbara, it just didn't quite work for me here, because I found that it was very inconsistent. Uh, the facial uh, depictions were just really all, not all that great, to be honest. Uh, something about it just was really lacking, and again there's certain sequences I'm just flipping through it now and when she goes on the date with Ricky and they're at his parents house etc like the depictions of her face just aren't good um 
Now, that being said, I mean, this is very much not a Batgirl issue. It's more of a Barbara issue, but it's a tense one, and it's interesting, especially the whole sequence with uh, Barbara and her dad at the firing range, because it's tense, and you're not really sure what's going on here. And uh, it was really kind of interesting, and I, I really liked it a lot. And then I'm interested to see... And then at the end, you have a great moment with uh, Gordon uh, and Batman, and Gordon punching Gor- uh, Batman in the face, which is definitely something that he's probably wanted to do a lot before. And uh, and you really wonder, after, when you hear, like... How much does he know? Does he know that Barbara is Batgirl or not? Because at times it feels like he does, and then there's times he doesn't. But he definitely wants her off the streets, and he wants her. He wants justice, and or not maybe not justice. He wants a little bit of vengeance. Um, anyways, I thought this was a really well done issue, even with the the my sometimes issues with the uh, face on Barbara. It was still fairly good art. I would have liked to see a little bit more Batgirl action, but you can't have that in every issue. It was still a solid issue of Batgirl. Simone is doing a great job of really developing, uh, you know, Barbara in the aftermath of what's happened to her brother. It takes away from it a little bit that everyone, like, well, not everyone. If you're not reading Birds of Prey, uh, sorry, uh, Suicide Squad, sorry, you don't really realize that Gordon's still alive. Sorry, the that uh, Barbara's brother's still alive, but he's definitely alive, and it kind of lessens the impact a little, but at the same time, not because for all intents and purposes, he is dead. She doesn't know anything different. She's of the assumption that she killed her brother. And uh, that she's to blame, and that she's really screwed things up. So it's it's really powerful, and it's I'm enjoying it quite a lot. So I did give Batgirl number twenty two an eight out of ten. Next up is uh, Batman number twenty two. Uh, now I believe the last issue of this, I I believe it is one of the uh, reviews I did with AJ, and uh, I it's sad again that that we don't have the Skype up and working yet because I would have liked to know what he thinks of this issue because um, I think he was digging where Bat- Batman Year Zero was going. Um, having read this issue, not a huge fan. It's definitely not quite I to my cup of tea. I don't know. It feels extra protracted. Um, there's definitely some interesting things going on here. So Snyder and Capullo are definitely developing an interesting story. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not quite digging the whole... The Red Hood Gang is interesting. Um... I'm not. I'm not really digging how Batman's being written, though. First of all, how does he even pass for for Penguin? Like they don't really address how that's done, or how like you know this little guy is able to. Uh, sorry, how Batman's able to pretend to be the Penguin or Oswald Cobblepot. Sorry, I'm just not a big fan. And there is definitely a question here of identity that of him, Bruce Wayne, not really having an identity to use yet, or having come up with Batman yet to help take down the crime gang um there's a lot of like the kind of the high concept technology stuff i was kind of hoping it would be less of that um i don't know i'm just not a big fan and the interactions between bruce and alfred i don't know they don't quite work for me either it's okay and i it just feels very protracted and uh i do like that alfred slaps uh bruce but bruce is a bit of a dick here and i just don't i don't know it just doesn't quite work for me and then having his uncle philip trying to like basically uh is is giving weapons away to the Red Hood gang. It's just some intrigue, and it's interesting. I just feel like this whole storyline is going to go on far too long. I did like the appearance of, of Enigma, and it's an artist, a weird artistic way of kind of making the action flow or the dialogue flow because there's a one-page panel, which is pretty interesting in terms of having it on, uh, like, a, um, it's, a, it's a symbolic of a, of a snake eating itself. And going outwards, and that's how you, you kind of wind along as you're reading the uh, the, the exchange between uh, Bruce Wayne and uh, Enigma. I don't know. I just didn't care much for it, 
And uh, I don't know. I'm, I was just frustrated. I was really frustrated. I just and the artwork by Capullo didn't quite work the same. Part of it's that. I mean, I, I think Capullo does a really good job at, at the darkness, at, at making Batman thrive in the dark. And there's a lot of Bruce Wayne in the light here, and I didn't care for that as much. And there, he's not Batman yet, and I don't know. I just, I, I want to like this more than I do, and I feel like everyone else does, and I just, it just doesn't quite grab me, and I can't, I wish I knew why. And I, I would love to hear what other people think about it, because I feel like I'm probably the odd one out. I feel like... If there's, you know, nine, sorry, if there's ten people who read the book, I'm probably the one who wasn't quite feeling it. And I don't know why that is. Uh, I want to like this more than I do, but I just, I'm not there, and I don't know why. Um, and the backup, I don't know, it was cute. It didn't really add a lot, but it, it I'm enjoying these Bruce Wayne stories. They're kind of interesting, seeing, you know, him practicing and learning and 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 actually, you know, developing skills along the way. Uh, Scott Snyder, James Tenney in the fourth, and uh, Raphael Albuquerque uh, did the backup, which I did like, and it was interesting, kind of because they're in the Sphinx, and obviously there's a correlation there with the regular issue because there's a, a Sphinx that Batman scales. So it's interesting, but again, it feels slow and not quite to my taste, and I don't know. I'm just, I feel a little bored when I'm reading it, and I shouldn't feel that when I'm reading a Batman issue. Part of that is just I felt like the uh, the exchange with Alfred. And Bruce Wayne just took went on way too long. So, anyways, it wasn't quite for me. I gave it a seven out of ten because it was still like it's it's ably done. I just want to like it more. And it's not like I'm saying it's badly written or it wasn't well written at all. It was just more. It wasn't quite to my taste as much as I wanted it to be. Um, next up is uh, Daredevil number twenty eight. Uh, I really dug this. This was a lot of fun. Now, it wasn't last. It's nothing like last issue. Last issue was fantastic. But it was quite interesting, and uh, the cover is kind of a weird one with this kid saying, you know, I beat Daredevil. Uh, but once you actually read the issue, you really understand what that means. Uh, now, this issue is written, is written by Mark Wade, and it's penciled and colored by Javier Rodriguez with inks by Al- Al- Alvaro Lopez. Um, so in this issue, you have Franklin dealing with, uh, you know, his treatments and Matt trying to be there for him, but at the same time not being able to stomach the smell of the drugs, uh, him trying to do double duty. Uh, and then he goes to his office, and he finds his guy, and it's the guy who gave him the first Christendom Daredevil, the guy who on the on the playyard Christendom Daredevil, and it's kind of an interesting story because he he doesn't like this kid or this guy, and this guy seems to like not understand that he kind of made life really hell for for Daredevil, um, but at the end of the day, Matt Murdock's like, I need to help you because I do think that there is a, an issue of. Uh, of uh, what's called a wrongful arrest and so he's like I can't not help this guy anyways it ends with one hell of a bang and it's really like you think you're getting one story and right at the end you realize that the setup is a lot worse than you realize as a judge pulls a gun on the guy that Matt Murdock's uh, helping to defend and then that last panel and just the blam like you're like you'll have to wonder it felt like a great uh, back in the days of classic movie uh, TV cliffhangers it felt like a classic TV cliffhanger with a series finale or sorry season finale where it'd be the end of the season and you have something happen and you cut to black and you have to come back next season to find out what happened this was this was really well done I really enjoyed it the artwork's great the, uh, the storytelling is fantastic Mark Wade is just keeps on doing a great job here um Again, I don't know... It wasn't quite as strong as the last issue, but that's only because the last issue was so freaking fantastic. 
I'd still give this a very solid 8 out of 10. This was a great read, very fun. Uh, next up is uh, Green Lantern Corps number 22. Wow, could not stand this. Uh, so, and there's, I guess, a lot of speculation on if the cover was supposed to be a shout out to um, the supposed plans. Uh, I forget what the, which artist, sorry, writer it was. I think it was Fielkov. Uh, he was supposed to write Green Lantern Corps and then he decided to leave because he didn't want to kill off John Stewart. So you have the cover and you have John Stewart on it and you have him being impaled with, per, uh, you know, Star Sapphire energy, basically. Uh, and the idea, the implication is that Fatality is running through with this, with a, with her weapon, and so that's where you're starting the art issue off because you see that and you're like, what's going on here? Um, I'm not liking how interconnected, or at least not interconnected, but like I like when the Green Lantern books kind of do their own thing. They tell very different stories. Like, before, leading up to the Sinestro Corps War, you had very different types of stories being told. In the two main uh, Green Lantern books, you had Green Lantern Corps, which is focusing on the Corps and certain other characters like Gardner, etc. And then you had uh, Hal Jordan having his more Earthbound adventures as Earth's Green Lantern. And then you had Sinestro Corps War coming together and bringing all everyone together. I want all the Green Lantern books to feel like they have a, a real sense of having their own identity. And I feel like they're trying to get there, but they're not quite there. And then having events that kind of spill out between them like I like continuity but at the same time I kind of want the books to exist on their own and not feel like they're constantly winking and gesturing to their friend the other the other book that you not, may not be reading uh, this issue is written by Ben Jensen artwork by Bernard Chang it's co-plotted by Robert Venditti um, ugh, this is just the artwork isn't that great the idea of having Jon Stewart helping other helping to train recruits is a good one um, I just felt like this issue didn't do a good job really expanding on it and then you have uh, Star Sapphire sorry uh, Fatality is a Star Sapphire and she potentially kills John Stewart but it turns out it's not and uh, I don't know there's there's a lot of things going on here I just found it very uninteresting there were some interesting characters that kind of, uh, these new recruits etc who are fighting the Kuns but um, I don't know I just didn't care much for it and by the end of the issue I was just like thank god it's over I just didn't want to read it anymore uh, the idea of having the um, different enti- entities coming together because there's issues with power and the universe happening is kind of interesting, but I'm wondering what it means because they're seeking out the White Lantern. I, I just don't care. Is that horrible? Like I just feel like I've stopped caring about the Green Lantern franchise, and I, I'm still reading it. I'm trying to kind of care a little, but this issue did nothing for me, and by the time it was over, I was just glad it was over. So I gave this issue a 5 out of 10. I just didn't care. And the artwork wasn't very solid either. It probably deserves less. I just found I was so bored by the end. I was just like, thank God that issue's over. Um, it's just a, it's just a far cry from where these books used to be. Uh, it brings up Hawkeye number 12. Now, obviously, the last issue was the uh, the immortal uh, dog issue. And then this issue, you open up the first page, and uh, at the top you have Barney Barton, the brother of Hawkeye. Um, so this is a Barney Barton story, and it's interesting. It's very different. Uh, it's by Matt Fraction with artwork by Francesco Francavilla. Uh, it's a very different story, but again, it's very simple. It's not really about Hawkeye at all. It's all about his brother, and so his brother is kind of a um, you know a bit of a layabout, but he's also got a lot of skills, and you see a little bit of the flashback of him and his brother and growing up and what that was like. And then you also uh, have in the current uh, time you have him, uh, his bar- brother, encountering the uh, trench coat, sorry, tracksuit mafia, and he kind of puts the pain into them, and then the next day. He, uh, he, you know, goes to meet up with his brother. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so obviously I didn't edit out that cough. 
Uh, this was a good solid issue. I found it really enjoyable. It, again, wasn't last issue by any means. And I'm not really sure what the continuity is with uh, with the two brothers at this point. Because I'm pretty sure they fought each other recently. But you know what? This book makes it feel like nothing else matters. Like you're just kind of reading this book that feels like a 70s movie in the best way. Uh, it's not really about super heroics. It's about this guy who happens to be a superhero. And he gets sometimes he gets his ass kicked. Sometimes he hangs out with his dog. Sometimes things happen. bad things happen to his neighbor. And then we don't know anything about what's going on about that. Uh, but sometimes things just weird things just happen, but it just has this, its own sense of timing and pacing and it just feels like it's completely separate from everything else in the Marvel Universe in the best way possible. So I'm still enjoying this book immensely. I give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is Indestructible Hulk number 10. I really dug this. This was a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying this, uh, this team up with Daredevil. Um, Mark Wade wrote it, so obviously he knows how to write a good Daredevil story. Um... And the artwork was by... Uh, let me just find out who that was. Hold on a second. Uh, the artwork on Indestructible Hulk is by Matteo Scalera. Uh, I don't really know him as an artist, or but I really enjoyed his take here. I, I don't think we really got a good sense of what really Zemo was doing here, but uh, I liked the Hulk. and the, Hulk and Daredevil teaming up are an interesting team up because they're not two characters that you would expect to put together. It's kind of like Daredevil and like Silver Surfer or something. Like they just they occupy different worlds. Um, and the Hulk is pretty pissed off here because he's he thinks he's blind at one point. And it was it's really it's a fun fast paced romp. I've enjoyed this book pretty much since the beginning. I mean, obviously the Walt Simonson issues were a little bit rougher, but I've been enjoying them and having Daredevil in here and both as Matt Murdock and as Daredevil was a nice touch and uh, just immensely entertaining and just a fun book like this is a really fun Hulk book it just felt like the last version of the Hulk when Jason Aaron was writing it wasn't that fun it was just he was trying to do some stuff that was a little different but it also felt like he was trying to be so serious why so serious whereas this is just more he's having a good uh, Mark Ray's having a good time he's just writing you know writing the character in different directions uh, he's enjoying this new uh, you know status quo that he's given him He's just he's just having a grand old time, and there's really something to be had for that. It's nice to have, see a writer really just having a fun time with the Hulk and not trying to be too serious, because a lot of writers try to take Hulk really serious, and I think part of this, unfortunately, is kind of Peter David's fault. He was probably the uh, writer who... Uh, he had a lot of humor in his book, to be sure, but he also had injected a lot of pathos into the Hulk books, into a level that probably hadn't been done before. Now, yes, he didn't introduce the idea of child abuse, etc., but he definitely expanded upon it and added a lot more levels. But I think ever since then, some writers have feel like they have to do their version of Peter David. They have to try and add something important or serious uh, to you know the echelon, the continuity of the Hulk. And some other writers, very few, just say, you know what, I'm going to have a good time and run with the concept, have run with the fun. And that's exactly what Mark Wade's doing, and he's doing a great job of it. So it's immensely entertaining. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I hope he stays on it for a while, because it's just such a good read. He's really having a renaissance. Like, between this and, Hall- and um, Daredevil, and then obviously he's got other stuff going on that isn't at Marvel, he's just doing some great work, and it's so, so entertaining. So 8 out of 10 for Indestructible Hulk. Uh, the next up is uh, Justice League number 22. Oh, man, I did not care for this that much. Um, I mean, it looks pretty. Um, there's not much more to it than that. I This is obviously the beginning of the Trinity War. Man, does it feel like Trinity War was supposed to be really big, and then it just kind of feels really small? Um, 
after all that kind of the time knowing that it's coming up, I just thought it would feel bigger. Um, so we have Madam Xanadu, who I don't really know anything about, or never have really known anything about. Uh, you have the idea that she's she's reading cards, and as she's reading cards, you're kind of seeing the different characters uh, that are reflected that she's uh, reading the cards from. It feels very like classic kind of way of setting up an event, and you're seeing all the different characters. You have Superman, Wonder Woman, etc., you definitely have the idea that uh, Wonder Woman's not against death. Um, and then you have Pandora showing up. I don't really care for Pandora. Then you get it, then you flash over to the Justice League of America and the fact that they're preparing to take on the Justice League. You have, um, you know, the, uh, the Watchtower has recently crash-landed, so someone's messing with the Justice League. Uh, Superman's kind of messed with by Pandora. Uh, you have the Justice League of America going to confront the Justice League. You have an initial fight between Shazam and Superman, which is interesting. And I did like seeing the two fight, although there's not a lot of a reason given for why it's happening. And then suddenly the Justice League of America shows up to st- in Kondok to stop the Justice League. And uh, that just kind of feels like a giant bit of mess happening. And then you also see you know, that Pandora needs to open her box. The Phantom Stranger saying he has to get involved, although we don't really know why. And then we also have the question saying, you know, who's the evil behind the evil and I think it might be Superman. I don't know. I just feel like there's... And then Superman appears to potentially maybe kill Dr. Light. What is going on here? It just feels like they wanted something and then they just kind of threw it together because it doesn't feel like that well put together. Um, so I don't know. I, I just feel like that they really want this to be something. And I feel like it's supposed to be bigger and now it feels more a little smaller in terms of the actual scope of the comics. And at the same time, it just feels like a lot of these elements are just kind of being rushed together, which is not a good thing. Uh, that being said, Ivan Reyes puts together some fantastic art, but Jeff Johns put together a bit of a lackluster story. I'd almost say this is 4 for art, 2 for story. Uh, I'm giving it a 6 out of 10 overall. Uh, next up is Nightwing number 22. Well, this book is alright. I mean, I gave it a 7.5. Um, it's got a lot of elements I like, but again, I don't know. I like that he's in a different city. I like that he's having to deal with things in a completely different way. I'm just really not sold on the artwork. Um, I think the story is a lot stronger than the art is. Uh, the art just doesn't quite work for me. I do like seeing how Nightwing's kind of trying to get things done. He does have a bit of a Spider-Man feel here, uh, especially when he confronts, uh, I guess, the mayor. Um, the, sorry, the artwork, it looks like it's by um, Brett Booth, but really it's Will Conrad. The artwork, sorry, the story is written by Kyle Higgins. I'm enjoying his story. I'm just not quite caught up on the artwork or a big fan of it uh, I'm hoping that we do get to see some kind of resolution with uh, I, I do, sorry, I'm backtracking I do like that Nightwing is having to confront the fact that uh, there's some cities that just don't like vigilantes and having to deal against a, deal with a culture that really doesn't appreciate or want them there at all um, the prankster is pretty interesting as well anyways, it, it's a pretty good issue, pretty good issue writing wise, I just wish the artwork was a little bit stronger uh, but it is entertaining, and I, I can't wait to see more of what's going on with the prankster and uh, and how Nightwing's ability to operate in in the city will be impacted uh, in the down the line as well. So I gave it a seven and a half. Uh, next up is Secret Avengers number six. Now I like this, but last issue just was so strong. I felt this was issue was a little bit of a wasn't nearly as strong. It was still good, and but this issue takes place before last issue. Um, so that you're watching basically a, a you know a retro 
what's the word? We're going back in time and seeing how things kind of got to the point. Uh, the artwork's still pretty good. Um, at times, really entertaining. Colonel Rhodes could have looked a little bit better, but overall, it's pretty good stuff. Uh, the regular cast is mostly absent, so this artwork... Sorry, the artwork in this issue is by Butch Guys. The uh, actual issue is written by Nick Spencer. Um, I'm really liking his, his tale. I like that James Rhodes has a history with Cheese, or Coulson as we know him now. Um, I like that seeing how people are reacting to the Iron Patriots, uh, kind of a, with their attacks, etc., where the thought process came when it came to uh, having to go into uh, into AIM Island. Uh, seeing the interactions between Taskmaster and Mockingbird was pretty cool, too. Uh, it was just interesting to see this book work, because for the most part, not seeing any of the regular cast of Secret Avengers, except for Hill. Um, anyways, and I also liked to hear that the idea that the Iron Patriots kind of believe, uh, look up to, uh, to uh, Iron... Uh, sorry, look up to James Rhodes... And seeing him in the armor is kind of cool, too. I'm interested to see where we go from here. Um, this book remains really entertaining. Although, again, I do think it should just be called S.H.I.E.L.D. and not Secret War- Avengers. Because it really is more of a S.H.I.E.L.D. book. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is his Suicide Squad, number 22. I really am digging this. Like, I'm really sad that uh, earlier this week, uh, the writer of the book, Al- Alice Cott... Uh, announced that he was leaving the book, which is really unfortunate because he's doing a great job here. He's so entertaining. Uh, Patrick Zerker is on artwork and doing a great job of it. I'm really enjoying how this team is being written. Uh, I really just like everything about the team and how their adventure here is uh, carried out was really entertaining. Um, it just was really smart having King Shark doing what he like. Just seeing the the team work together. Cheetah, Unknown Soldier. Um, uh, Listen, um, Deadshot, uh, Harley Quinn, King Shark, they all work really well together. Even um, the younger uh, Gordon works well with them. I did like there's a great moment of King Shark saying Imperious Shark, which I thought was freaking hilarious. Um, it's really good. And there's a good cliffhanger as well as to they've been doing stuff with bringing people back to life, but it might not be as stable as they thought, and it could have dire effects uh, or dial... Um, it could mean dire things for uh, Deadshot and for Amanda Waller. So I'm really digging this book. It's really sad that he's not going to be on it much longer, but 8 out of 10 for sure. It's a very solid read. And uh, that brings us to Superior Spider-Man, number 13. God, I love this book. I just find it so entertaining. Uh, every single issue, very well done. Uh, now that we don't have Peter Parker around in the background, it's actually a much better issue. Uh, sorry, much better series. Uh, Dan Slott just killing it uh, Kevin Coley I'm really enjoying his take on the book uh, So this is a great It's almost a little bit too short The fight between uh, Sp- the Spider Slayer and uh, Ox Spidey But it is really interesting to see them facing off You have the Vulture uh, Trying to uh, take out all the civilians That are stuck on the raft And they're trying to basically come up with, uh, come up with a way for him Not to kill them Instead work with him To maybe cut a deal So that they'll help him in case Um you know, if he if the force field eventually goes down, that they can maybe bargain with him uh, for clemency so that he'll be let loose. And then you also have Jameson having to go up against the Scorpion, which of course is uh, lopsided to say the least. And um, you also have uh, the Lizard helping out, and it's finally revealed to Jameson that Liz, the Kirk Connors is in the mind, is in the body of the Lizard, and uh, he's not mindless, and he actually is able to protect him. Um, Spider Man takes out the Spider Slayer pretty efficiently. 
Um, and then they finally all escape, and it definitely looks like uh, Spider-Man takes out the Spider-Slayer for good, and then he uh, basically blackmails Jameson, which is a little too bad, because I was really liking the idea that he had finally kind of had come to some sort of a terms with Jameson. They were actually almost like a team. Not a team, maybe, but they had a bit of trust in each other. Um, but uh, Spider-Man basically uh, blackmails him into getting Spider Island 2 up and running, which is he basically has the raft to be his own personal uh, headquarters. It just feels like every issue really is resetting the status quo, which is very unusual, but very welcome. Because um, it does feel like every issue, something big is actually happening. Um, like every arc, there is an important event happening that moves the the continuity forwards, and it's not hollow. There really are changing the continuity for the character and his status quo each time, and it's really entertaining. And I mean, it's only going to get better because in the future we're going to have hopefully it looks like based on the solicits, uh, Peter Parker at some point is going to become a doctor, um, or sorry, the Doc Ox body is finally going to get his doctorate, etc. Um, this is just a really fun and enjoyable book. Uh, it's strong, it's it's dark, but it also shows how efficient Spider-Man could actually be if he really put his mind to it. Um, Spider-Slayer comes up with a great way to uh, have his ultimate revenge on uh, Spider-Man by uh, taking over his mind, but uh, he doesn't realize that uh, that, he, that doesn't work because Spider-Man has a shielding in his, uh, in his helmet slash mask uh, to make sure that can never happen because he's already done it before. And uh, I guess as Spider-Slayer dies... He realizes that uh, the Spider-Man he fought is actually Doctor Octopus, which is interesting, and it's a, again a nice counterpoint because as part of the issue you have Spider-Man in the raft, kind of saying like, you know, I was here, I was dying, I had lost, I, my legacy was nothing, and then when Spider Slayer dies, he's able to say basically the same thing to him, you know, your final act as the Spider Slayer, your last greatest battle, uh, wasn't even against your true enemy. That's your legacy, nothing, less than nothing. It's brutal, but. Really strong writing. Uh, Slot's just killing it. I mean, I'm enjoying every issue. I can't recommend it enough. It's, it feels fresh and new and exciting. It's its own thing. So, Superman Unchained. So I was sorry. That was an eight out of ten. Superman Unchained number two. I gave it a seven. More for the artwork, less for the story. But even the artwork wasn't really what I was expecting. I just don't. I feel like the, I don't know. Uh, first of all, you have a Batman cameo here or guest appearance, and it's just it felt as if. Uh, Jim Lee forgot how to illustrate Superman once Batman was in the picture and both characters didn't quite look like themselves uh, whereas when Superman's just being Superman it feels like you know this is Superman but I don't see Superman and Clark Kent here and I don't see this doesn't even look like any version of Batman he looks far too young he just doesn't quite look right um, which re- I found really frustrating uh, and I, I don't really know if I care about what's going on here like it felt a lot like it was really influenced by the movie in a lot of ways. The idea that people don't quite trust Superman. He's dealing with the military, and they, you know, they they're trying to develop weapons that kind of go up against him. And then you also have this other figure who's wanting to uh, deal with Superman and maybe take him out. And you also have what's going on with Lex Luthor, which is kind of weird and messed up in the last page. I don't really like um, the backup by Scott Snyder and Dustin Wynn. Not really a fan of that as well. And the weird like having Batman have this weird stealth suit, which. It's a cool concept, but also is like lit up like an action figure. I don't know. I just this bothered me a little. I just don't know if Scott Snyder is maybe the right for person to write Superman. Um, partially because like a lot of his stories with with Batman are about Gotham City as being a main character, and there's a lot of idea of uh, you know a love story between 
Bruce and his city, and his city is constantly coming up with new things to destroy him. But Bruce still loves his city, whereas I don't feel like he has got a, a full grasp on Superman yet. Maybe he'll get there, but I just don't think he's there yet. And again, why not just call this Superman the Man of Steel? Why call it Superman Unchained? I just feel like this needs to be more of an action-oriented book if it wants to be that. There are some interesting ideas uh, in the first like se- uh, sequence. You have Superman dealing with the fact that he's got, what, 19 seconds to uh, make a decision? And uh, he's being, you know, beaten up at the same time. Now, I think it's a little convenient that he's able to do all that within that time because it seemed pushing the boundaries of what's, uh, you know, kind of imaginable even by Superman standards. But it was a cool sequence to kind of see him breaking things down. It felt very much like something the Flash would do as well. Uh, obviously, the scope of the abilities of what Superman can bring to the table make it something the Flash couldn't do. But the idea of breaking things down second by second, having to make a decision and then go for it and come up with a plan... Um, it's weird to see Superman think, um, not to see him doing that, but usually we don't always get into his mind as deep. And in the pre New 52, is always, you're always more comfortable that Superman was always going to be able to make the right decision. Whereas here, he does not have a plan, and you don't really have any idea that he's going to be able to do it right. Um, so it's just an interesting take on the character. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm wrestling between this. I was going to give it a 7, I'm going to downgrade it to a 6. I think it's more of a. You know, three out of five for both uh, art and story. It's not the greatest art because at times it's inconsistent. Uh, it's good, but it's not great. Same thing with the story. Um, so maybe three and a half and two and a half. Uh, three and a half for art. Who knows? But bottom line is I'm giving it a six. And that brings us to the next book, which is Uncanny X-Men number eight. Um, there's a lot of really cool ideas here. Um, we also get to... But at the same time... I don't. This is not nearly as strong a book as um, the first, as uh, All New X Men is. Uh, this book's all right, but and there are some great ideas. The artwork by uh, Bacalo is at times very um, confusing, or it just gets tiresome. And I don't know how to why that is, but some of his characters, like I just get tired of looking at the weird size panels and the characters not kind of looking like normal. Um, I don't know. At times I'm liking it, at times I'm not. This is one of the issues where I'm not as big a fan. Uh, the story I'm not as big a fan on as well. I mean, again, the one portion I really liked was Scott Summers and Magneto having a, a nice, uh, having it out, having a conversation, not having a fight, and then then the, the idea that they need to help each other to train each other to bring their powers back to normal, or at least to to um, to master their broken powers, which is a great idea. And I love the idea that the, of course these these two men are very proud individuals, and I like the idea that they're, they're willing to work together. They've actually obviously had issues. Um, but they're willing to work together to get through them. I thought that was actually really interesting and a nice writing on Bendis' side that he's not going for the easy fight sequence, which I really liked. But then there was a lot of the other issues just felt like it didn't need to happen. And then having Alison Blair show up at the end, uh, I feel like it was supposed to be more of a bum-bum-bum moment, and it was more like, yeah, Alison Blair's there. Okay. Don't know why she's suddenly on... Like, I don't know why they need her on S.H.I.E.L.D., but okay, that's happening now. I just don't find that really that engaged in her being a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, I gave the issue, I guess, a 7 out of 10. I mean, it was a lot better than the last couple issues have been. It just felt a little bit pointless. Um, you know, maybe I'll give it a 6.5, let's be honest. Um, I think 6.5 is where it'll stay. And that's the last issue I'm going to review this week. I was, I didn't have a chance to get through a bunch of other books, which include Astro City number 2, 
which to be honest I'm actually never probably going to review just because I've never read Astro City and I've heard it's new new reader friendly but I'm just not really at the point where I'm able to kind of add new books like that that I have no real interest in at the moment um, Batman Arkham Unhinged 16 Batman Little Gotham number 4 Demon Knights number 22 East of West number 4 I've missed the last two issues unfortunately uh, Fearless Defenders number 6 Green Lantern the Animated Series number 14 Katana number 6 Marvel's Thor Dark World Prelude number 2 Smallville Season 11 number 15 Threshold number 7 Ultimate Comics Ultimate number 27 Wolverine number 6 Young Avengers um, oh, sorry, uh, World's Finest number 14 and uh, Young Avengers number 7 are all the books that I did not get a chance to go through this week. So though that is the episode. So this has been episode 95 of Comic Shenanigans. Uh, the reviews for July 10th releases. I am your host, Adam Chapman. You can, As always, you can send us an email at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Or you can like us on Facebook. Uh, unfortunately, the Facebook page has not been updated in a while. I've been meaning to get to it and really start sp- uh, spending more time getting it more up-to-date and doing up uh, common updates, but it just hasn't really happened. So I will try to get that going again. Um, you can always post in our HC Realms uh, thread where we post the new episodes. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's how you get in touch with us. So um, we got some good... As I said before, we got some good episodes coming up as we lead up to 100. We got 96 and we got 98, which is the Wolverine episode, and then it's episode 100. And then after that, we move into a slightly modified schedule in that we'll be having probably uh, bi-weekly episode, uh, special episodes, non-review episodes. Uh, I'm not really sure how that will end up going, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with something. There's probably going to be an episode going up around August 14th, which will be our Heroclix Clicksmas episode, as Wolverine and the X-Men, the new X-Men, uh, sorry, the new X-Men-related Heroclix set drops that day, so that'll probably be something we're going to be trying doing. And uh, that's, uh, that's the future. So, once again, this is Adam Chapman signing off, and we'll see you next time on Comic Shenanigans. Bye-bye. <laughs>